to all good men. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 52 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. Just finished up late last night recording with Andy Morgan. And this morning, I've got Andy's friend and uh, fellow nutrition expert in the fitness industry, Danny Lennon. So it's great to have you on, Danny. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure and I'm delighted to come and chat today. Well, it's especially important for me because I spent years listening to, you know, the, the big podcasts that were before everybody had a podcast and yours was probably one of the most influential in the entire industry, the Sigma Nutrition Radio, which is still ongoing, right? It's a, it's a big fixture in our industry. So it's in many ways is one of the most important podcasts influencing when me and Dean, my friend Dean Guido started ours four years ago and kind of how we've gone about it. I, I would say yours and Kevin Larrabee's The Fitcast being the other kind of, you know, big fundamental one. So, but a little bit more about you for anybody who's not super familiar. So I want to make sure I got all this right. You have a master's degree in nutritional sciences, I think, a, and a bachelor's in, in biology as well. Correct. Yes. So big new, uh, educational background. And on top of that, you're also the, you're on the advisory boards for, uh, well, the, I think the big one is the Sports Nutrition Association, plus some others. Mm, yeah, correct. And you are a speaker, presenter, educator. You know, a, a lot, I think a lot of it goes on in Europe, but because uh, you know, you're in Limerick, Ireland. That is also correct. Yeah. But also you have your own coaching business. Yeah. So uh, Sigma Nutrition has, I think, probably two separate sides of it. One is our kind of educational branch where most of my focus is right now. Uh, we also have a coaching service where we have a number of coaches that work then directly uh, with people. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to talk more about any of those things. Well, I I love the podcast angle because obviously the listeners, I think, you know, podcasts are a bit more common and it's got to be interesting. I'll, I'll throw a couple of things out there. It's got to be interesting sustaining popularity and doing it as there's been massive growth in, in a lot more podcasts, a lot more coaches doing it, a lot more niche stuff. And I mean, I've listened to your old episodes, people like Brian St. Pierre, Eric Helms, Spencer Nadolsky, Sohi Lee. I've got a list written here. I don't want to go too far, but Mike Gizertel, uh, Martin McDonald, who I met in person here in Edmonton, he spoke, uh, Stefan Guillenet, James Krieger, John Berardi, Andy Morgan, Brad Dieter. It goes on. Like it's actually crazy. And a few, I haven't had Steven or Martin, on my podcast, but I pretty much had everybody else. And then I guess let's go back to the beginning. Like why start it before it was common, right? Like it wasn't something that everybody did and what kept you going where so many people fell off. Yeah. That, that, that's an interesting uh, question because I think when I started mine, so for listeners who, who may be unfamiliar, the podcast started in early 2014. And so like you acknowledged that was kind of before we've seen this massive growth of podcasts, which probably was around that 2016, 2017 range where it really started to explode and then has continued on that trend in the last few years. So it started in 2014 and really at that time uh, was when I was just starting Sigma Nutrition. And with the goal of being able to not only, uh, I suppose, increase my own nutrition consultancy business. Um, one of the thoughts was, well, I need to make sure I can get my own content out there. So people, number one, are aware of who I am. And number two, are kind of familiar with what I think about things. And then if they think we're a good match, that would be a way to essentially 
uh, market for my business. And so as, as I think we all do early on, it's like, oh, I'm just going to do everything, right? I'm going to write articles every week. I'm going to do YouTube videos. And at that time, even though podcasting was relatively small, I did listen to a, a few podcasts on random topics and thought, well, this might be something cool to do. Not thinking it was going to be anything particularly big. And so pretty soon after starting that, I started to find that it not only was something I enjoyed doing, but seemed to be something that I um, was able to do relatively well. And again, if I look back now, it was probably a terrible job relative to what I think I can do now. But I think um, there was just something about that medium of audio only that attracted me to it. Um, and it was the one that started to get a bit of traction early on relative to other forms of content. And so I thought, okay, rather than try and spread myself too thin, let me double down on uh, this podcast. I'm not going to worry about YouTube videos. I'm not going to try and have a set frequency of writing articles. I'll do them now and again. And uh, really it just started to organically grow. Um, and so I think one of the things that was lucky for me is that I could see that steady growth early on. And I was lucky in the sense that pretty early in my uh growth of my business, my focus was always on how do I just put out really good content? And if I can continue to do that, then in the long term, everything else will take care of itself. Um, that may have been naive, but I also think I was very lucky because I was in quite a privileged position, right? I, I didn't need to make a huge amount of money immediately, right? I didn't have a, a family that I had to take care of. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have massive loans to pay off. Um, I wasn't transitioning from a, a different job. I was um, happy enough to live uh, quite a um, this was a meager lifestyle and not spend extravagantly. So I knew I had a bit of time there. I knew I didn't need to make a lot of money very quickly. And so kind of played the long game with it, um, which I was lucky to do and thought, okay, if I just continue to do really good quality work without trying to sell anything first, uh, then that will pay off. And so I think for the first couple of years, that my website was up, you literally couldn't go on and buy something. And instead, I was just focusing on how do I make the, the podcast good. And so that was probably the thing that allowed me to, like you say, sustain it past that certain threshold. I think I've heard something crazy of like the, the, the average podcast that gets started is done within six episodes or something crazy. Um, and so, yeah, it allowed me to get through that period. And I think then within that kind of uh, that, that first year that I was doing it, um, there started to be a real uptick at some point where the organic growth of it started going from very steady to start kind of going to go up in a more of a hockey stick type fashion. And then from there, I knew like, okay, this is something I want to uh, continue to put my, my focus on. So that's a, a long-winded way of saying uh, <laughs> hopefully some answer to the question. Have you ever found, and this is one of my weird concerns when I first started the podcast, have you ever found that you became branded as a podcaster or it overshadowed your coaching or other educational work, or has it been overwhelmingly a grand compliment to the rest of your career growth? Oh yeah. I, I think all the good things that have at least happened to me over the last uh, say seven or eight years professionally, I think the vast majority of them I would trace back to the podcast, right? So even things that are not now directly related to podcasting. So I've been lucky to speak at a ton of really cool events and conferences, for example. And I think the vast majority of people organizing those first heard about me through the podcast or they've been following the podcast for a significant period of time for some reason thought 
that my views on things were something that they enjoyed listening to. And so then reached out about me speaking at one of their events and public speaking is one of my favorite things to do. And all of that, I can trace back to the podcast success. Um, I think most of um, what I've done in terms of getting um, our, our coaching business going from that point has been down to that. Um, any of these uh, cool side projects like being on advisory boards, again, is, is down to people having become aware of Sigma Nutrition as a brand, probably primarily through the podcast. So for me, it's uh, it's been uh, something I, I don't take lightly at all. I have no problem with people thinking of me as a, as a podcaster per se, although I would hopefully like to think of it as uh, personally something more broad in, in that I think that the podcast is now just one medium through which I think uh, we do quite a good job of disseminating information, but I, I'm not closed off to using other types of, of media or other types of avenues to do that. Um, and I think it just right now that tends to be the primary one. So in that sense, yeah, I would hopefully not like my whole identity be re reduced down to a podcaster, but I have no problem with people seeing that because that is primarily the first lens through which they encounter me, I guess. I suspect a lot of it is whether or not someone takes it and runs with it. It has more depth and can expand and and build more what I love to call career capital. Because I think podcasting is a, is a great long form piece of content that you can put yourself out there with. Lord knows I've been doing it for four years now. I think the mistake happens when that's really all you do and just don't develop other things to back up the brand and the reputation. Obviously, if someone has the depth of education and knowledge and then they go out into other venues, then the depth of what they offer is easily showcased. I think YouTube is a, a good parallel. You get some people who are, you know, you, you hear the term YouTubers, right? YouTube influencers. Mm -hmm. And you get a lot of people who've grown very popular on YouTube, but that's kind of it. And it can seem a little bit superficial. Then you get some people who have done incredible things with YouTube. And I get, I go back to someone like Mike Isertel or a Jeff Nippert, who, you know, also early mm -hmm. in podcasting, very, very big in the evidence-based community. And they've used YouTube as a great vehicle. Omar Isaf really grew as a result of YouTube, but there's quality and depth in what he's done. So he's a credible name in the fitness industry. But again, it's, it doesn't matter if it's social media or anything else, you're going to get people who rise to popularity off of superficial bullshit, but then they get kind of exposed as, uh, you know, not lacking depth in other avenues. Yes. Yeah. And I think particularly with podcasting, it's one of the interesting ones where I think you will eventually get found out because it's a long form medium, right? That if you talk for an hour per week and you do that for hundreds of hours, eventually people will know if you actually have an understanding of what you're saying. Um, so I, I like that about podcasting. I also think because now everyone almost feels compelled that they need to start a podcast, one of the things I often say to them is, well, you need to be really aware of not only what type of podcast you're doing, but what purpose is it serving? And um, for some people, it can be perfect that they say, okay, I'm not really, I don't need to grow this massive. I don't want to be a podcaster per se. My main focus is my coaching business. And this podcast is just a, a way for potential clients to come across what I do, to understand more about me. It's also useful for my current clients to hear me talk about certain issues. And that's one type of, of podcast. That's not necessarily what uh, I think I do, although we do attract clients from, who listen to the podcast, but primarily the podcast is a separate thing um, in, in what we do. And it's more aimed at education 
of a lot of nutrition professionals. Um, and knowing that then changes how you structure things, the way you're going to communicate, um, and also never mind from like a business setup and, and your potential revenue streams, but just knowing that ahead of time is, is the crucial thing, I guess, um, as opposed to just thinking, oh, I need to do a podcast and I'll just copy ones that seem successful. They actually might be going with a different business model to you. And, and there's multiple types of business models that can include a podcast um, is what probably people should be aware of. I definitely think, I've at times felt like this podcast was incongruent with the goal of attracting and uh, retaining clientele because I couldn't help but invariably get into conversations that were about professional success. And it really became something where I get to spend an hour talking to and getting to know someone like yourself, reconnecting with some old friends like Andy Morgan, who I hadn't seen it's been a few years now because the Kansas City Fitness Summit is no more, plus the last two years, not been much travel. And I realized that I was enjoying these conversations for me as a you know, connection vehicle, and it, but it became a piece of a broader brand that included my writing and various other aspects of my work because I found, for the most part, I'm as busy as I want to be almost all the time. So instead, this is just almost a bit of recreation that I enjoy that I keep coming back to. Because like, as you said, a lot of podcasts, it's really hard to sustain them. And if you get too busy to keep your podcast going, well, it's very easy to say, well, I don't need the podcast because my business is self-sufficient. So therefore, why am I doing this podcast? So it, it also became a vehicle to educate and to share wisdom and knowledge and, and success. The industry has been profoundly good to me for 11 years. So you know, for the other coaches who are listening, I gained one of the most important things I ever did you know, kind of early mid career was to start listening to podcasts like yours. I learned a lot from it. I found a lot of brilliant people through, you know, your podcast and Kevin's podcast, which allowed me to go deeper into their resources and further develop as a coach. So I suppose this leads back to more thoughts on what you think someone should do if they're just hell bent on starting a podcast. Do you think it's, it's certainly more, we can say it seems more saturated now than certainly when you started, but it's like saying, oh, the fitness industry is saturated. Well, is it really saturated with great qualified professionals? It's saturated with a lot of people who claim that they're in the fitness industry. For sure. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an excellent point. And one of the things that you've touched on there um, is, again, understanding, well, what is the goal of this person's specific podcast? What is the reason for doing that? Because not everyone's going to have the same thing. If your goal is to go out and have, uh, I want to have the biggest podcast in the fitness industry. Okay. That's going to dictate a lot of your decisions about how you're going to have to organize that and the, the type of content you're going to have to put out, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to have the goal of, okay, I think I could have some really useful conversations with these people. And even if it doesn't become this huge mega podcast, I'm still going to benefit it from it professionally anyway, which I think a lot of people do. And I think a lot of people realize that and have, have uh, leveraged their podcast to do that, that even if they took, um, if they don't monetize their podcast at all, let's say it leads to no direct monetization, they are still benefiting from it because of these conversations they can have. So uh, that's one element to it. I think um, there's certainly no harm in people trying it if they want to do that. Um, what I think, again, comes down to is preference over feeling that they need to because everyone is telling them to. 
And this again goes back to understanding the, the I, I think of it as a kind of Venn diagram of your own interests, but also your own competencies. And unfortunately, I don't think everyone has the competency to excel in every type of media, but there is probably one that they are really good at. And I often give the example that there are people out there who build up their whole business on putting content in written form that is better than anyone else's. And they can do that because they don't spend hours per week researching and making podcasts like me. They don't spend time editing and producing high-level YouTube videos like Jeff. They spend all their time on writing and crafting the best written content there is and build a huge business on that. Now, can they branch off afterwards? For sure. Um, but the same thing, if you are starting out, understand, okay, what am I interested in? But also, are my competencies best suited to this type of uh, content? Um, and if not, that's perfectly fine. There's definitely a way to do it. Um, so I think there's those types of questions are ones I often recommend people um, integrate into their decision-making process. Um, and uh, so, yeah, they're, they're the first few initial things that, that come to mind. I think I alluded to this earlier. Having a podcast is a great way to ask, like to, again, get some time with some of the really established, successful people in our industry and to get to know them more. Because I'm big on, with, with my Instagram, certainly, and I'll get sometimes people in my messages and they'll immediately ask for something, some sort of effort or time of mine. It's like, I don't really have the time to do that sort of thing. And if you're brand new to me, we don't have a relationship to where you have earned the right to ask and, and vice versa, right? There's a lot of people, I wouldn't just show up at their DMs and be like, hey, could I write this for your website. Well, that sounds like you're doing me a favor. Like if someone says, Hey, I want to write something for your website, but I don't know you. I don't know the quality of your work. I don't know your reputation. So really you're hoping that, you know, my platform gives you exposure. So I'm really doing a favor for you with the podcast, especially if you've got a bit of an audience, you're still promoting and showcasing the person you're asking. And I found that overwhelmingly, you know, a lot of big name people in our industry are more than happy to come on and jump on a podcast with you. There are exceptions. <laughs> I joke that Ben Bruno is the only person who's like flat out, like said, nah, man, he does, doesn't like doing them. Right. Mm -hmm. And Ben is, you know, I think at this point, you know, trading big celebrity clients and whatnot that he doesn't need to do it, but by and large, almost everybody else. I mean, John Berardi is very, very picky about you know, his time, he has a whole list of things that any decision he makes about what he does, including giving an hour to a podcast, whether or not it fits for him. But I'd had several of his team on, they all really love the experience. And then when it was clear that I knew a lot about John's history and, and how he operated, he said, sure, he'd love to do it. Right. So that, that was kind of cool, but you earn that. But overall, I think that doing a podcast can be a really great way to give something back to the people who you know, you've learned a lot from and you really enjoy and get to know them a bit. And yes, it is an ask of their time, but I think for the most part, most are, are happy to do it. Yeah, most people are. And I, I often frame it to people, particularly when I reach out to researchers, uh, I find because they maybe don't often are on podcasts. One of the cool things is, especially if you demonstrate to them that you've actually read their work, right? That's a, that's a big deal. Second, if your whole life's work is researching a particular area and then someone says, hey, I really liked what you've published. I would love to talk to you about this work. 
um, in front of an audience, that's awesome, right? This is what they love doing. It's their life's work. And now someone's getting to talk to them for about an hour. Most people, again, will be would be happy to do so. Um, I think the the flip side of that then to bear in mind that very much is is in line with what you've said is once you know that and you know that someone is still giving up their time to the best way you can respect that is to make sure you're trying to make that as an engaging as conversation as possible. And that means making sure you've researched things properly, but also that you're asking questions that are actually of interest to you. I think the biggest kind of pet peeve of mine, or I think the biggest place a lot of people go wrong is they they think something along the lines of, okay, I'll start this podcast thing. I will ask these people that I know are on a lot of podcasts, for example, Mike Isertel, he has a huge following. And if I get him on my podcast, then all these followers are going to come over to me. <laughs> Number one, it does not work like that. You do not build following. Like I see zero correlation between the size of someone's audience and a, a growth in my audience. It comes from just good conversations, regardless of, of the guest's audience size. And um, the second part then is if someone's going to do that, don't just think about, okay, what questions that person asked on the podcast you heard them on and just repeat those questions. Actually ask them things you're interested to know. You're lucky enough to have an hour with this person that you look up to. Make the most of it. Ask them genuinely interesting questions, not things you think you should ask them per se, or things that is the first thing someone could Google to work out, right? Um, So I think those if you do those things, that is in turn kind of showing that level of respect for them. Um, and it's going to make them just a more enjoyable experience for the guest. And I think that's the the typical advice I would give someone. Funny. And it's funny you use Mike Gazzatel as an example, because I absolutely agree with everything you said. <clears throat> There's some stuff behind the scenes. So I first met Mike, I think it was probably 2017 or 2018, he came here and did a conference. Him and Dean Somerset each had a full day as part of a conference and got to sit down with him and have dinner with him. I had him on Facebook before that. And then each year afterwards, he brought his team to a nearby city, Calgary. So I came down and went to those seminars, brought other people. And then he was one of the earliest guests that we had on the original version of the podcast. And after having him on when there was less podcasts and him sharing on his media, and then Sohi Lee was on, she's a friend who I'd met in 2017, and she shared it on her media, her email list, we did see that the podcast following just immediately had a massive spike just because of those two. And then another guy, Carter Good, I think you probably know who Carter is, and he's got a really big following. So that was one of those things where it wasn't intentional, but Mike has really helped spike a lot of this stuff. And then Mike, he did it yesterday. He relentlessly and repeatedly takes my Instagram posts and shares them on his wall and tags me, which has driven thousands of followers to me, but this wasn't a contrived plan thing. I'm going to be nice to Mike Isertel and therefore he's going to drive off. Never even imagined when I first met him that I would even have an Instagram account. I wasn't even thinking about this sort of thing. So if you do go in with genuine intentions and treat, you know, established people like Mike, like they're normal human beings and engage with them instead of fan over them. And if you share their work, I've been posting RP stuff all over my media for years because I believe it at promoting their events. And sometimes some really cool shit comes back your way, but I don't give with any intention of keeping score to see what I'm going to get back out of any of this stuff. Right. And I can tell you and putting your guests on the podcast, it's genuinely about showcasing them, learning from them, putting them on the pedestal and letting your grow big audience find out about these people and their work. 
Yeah, no, no that's a fantastic point. I, I probably should c- clarify that I've certainly seen um, and had a lot of help from people in the industry who have gone and promoted the podcast and let people know about it or said, here's an episode to check out. Um, the, the crucial point here, though, is exactly what you outlined, that it's not thinking, oh, if I get Mike Israel on the podcast, then that's going to take care of everything because Mike Israel is, has been on hundreds, if not probably thousands of people's podcasts at this point. He doesn't go and share all of those all the time with people in the way that he would share yours. Um, the same with Instagram posts. Not everyone he follows or tags him and stuff does he share. He is very selective about that. It again comes down to who is consistently doing good quality content. And from a podcast standpoint, who did Mike have a really enjoyable experience with? In other words, who was respectful of his time, who asked him interesting, engaging questions, and who actually did a good enough job that he could stand over the episode and say, that's really useful to people. If you do them, then sure, he's going to be able to to, to share your, your episode. For other people who, again, are just going to come on and don't have anything prepared, and the only question they have is like, Mike, can you define what MRV is or, or whatever, then th- that isn't going to be something he's going to say, hey, guys, you should all go and listen to this conversation. This was really cool. Um, so I 100% agree that, again, it comes down to are you doing good quality work? Um, and that comes down to that, kind of, that preparation and thinking through what you're going to ask, et cetera. So um, th- those examples you give are absolutely perfect. And plus, with Mike, I could I would rather listen to Mike rant about something for an hour than any stand-up comedy you're ever going to find because I, I find he's genuinely funnier than about 90% of it. Oh, he is a genuinely hilarious person and a fantastic storyteller, really good humor, um, but just, a, yeah, and a really genuine person um, and just has really deep thoughts on a lot of interesting topics. Like, like the last uh, podcast that I had him on, I, th- I think we we're talking about um, philosophy around suffering and, and things like this and uh, going from that into like his bodybuilding prep and then back to, yeah, how people act in the world. And yeah, all, all these types of deep, uh, interesting ideas you can uh, discuss with him. So it's a shame not to try and get into interesting stuff when you have the chance. Um, so yeah, I very much agree. Earlier on, you mentioned about how you're more passionate or maybe that's that's a paraphrase, but you're more involved in the educational side versus even the coaching side. So why, why that evolution? What, what is the allure of education to draw Mm. you away from coaching? I think for me, I really enjoyed putting together content and putting it into a a certain format that was um, taking what I was learning and putting it into something that makes sense to people and is coherent. And then and I think just because of the nature of my podcast and the level it's pitched at, most of our audience, I would say, are intermediate to advanced level of understanding of nutrition science, very dialed in, like the details. And so the majority of those are nutrition professionals. Um, and so the content and education that we are creating for them is not necessarily people in the in the general population that want to come and need some help with their nutrition. Now we obviously still get those. We get a lot of nutrition professionals that want coaching from us, but I found a couple of things. One, I much preferred creating content, whether that was lectures, written pieces, or the podcast specifically. And I can, I only have so much time that I can allocate to my work. And the more time I allocate to that, the better quality it's going to be. And if I'm going to take someone on for coaching, that is a very serious endeavor to me and something I would 
have the utmost respect for. And therefore that would eat a considerable amount of time if I want to give people the level of attention that I would like. So that was one part. Second, then I started to think, okay, my skills and the things I feel I'm best at are taking, um, having enough of an understanding of nutrition science to be able to read and interpret some of that, but then also to, I suppose, repurpose that into a format that's digestible and understandable, but not to everyone, again, to people who are already at a pretty decent level of understanding and a pretty high level in many cases. And I think that's the kind of sweet spot of what I'm good at. So then I thought, well, that means if I think of a nutrition coach, there's a different skill set required for that. And there are people that are spending all of their time developing those skills. So their communication skills, thinking about what's going to change clients' behavior, how to interact with those, how to take these deep ideas that maybe I talk about in the podcast and how do we distill that down into just simple food-based recommendations for people. Now, if there's people that are spending all their time thinking about those problems and developing those skills, they're the people I need coaching for Sigma, not me, because they'll be better at it. Right. So uh, this is exactly it, that there's people that have different skill sets and, um, I thought, okay, we can get people who love coaching people. And, and so our, our head of coaching, for example, uh, Gar Ben, um, someone that just loves coaching people, really good with people, obsessed with communication and empathy, and is always doing courses on that, how we can get this kind of communication with people, all stuff outside of nutrition science, which is such a huge part of being a good nutrition coach. Whereas more my interest is in maybe a lot of the nerdy details of nutrition science that at the end of the day, maybe don't matter that much in many coaching interactions. So the overlap of those two things uh, was what it came down to where my time is best spent um, and what I'm most interested in doing and then getting better people to do that actual front-facing interaction with our clients. And there's, I mean, I can think of a short list of people who do what you described very well. I had this conversation with Andy Morgan and we talked about the distilling down of the, the research and the abstract stuff into something that's very accessible, but to the end user, which is, a, a you know, the general population. Uh, he just sent me his diet adjustments manual. I'm blasting through it. It's phenomenal. It's really, really well written, but that's for, in a lot of cases, a different audience than what you're talking about. So I think about people like Martin McDonald, obviously with MNU, you've had him on your podcast a number of times, or certainly Eric Helms enters a lot of that space, really, really big into the research space, but yet does a good job of speaking to coaches more than necessarily trying to cater to a lot of the end users. Uh, Mike Israel and Renaissance Periodization, they, I think, do both really well. I think they put out a lot of stuff that that targets kind of the broad spectrum, but they have the bandwidth to do that. Anybody else that really stands out to you? Uh, Yeah, I I think for me, one of the best that I've ever seen is probably Greg Knuckles. Um, And and I think you could put Eric Trexler in along with that Mm -hmm. and the stuff they're doing at Stronger by Science of Greg is genuinely... Uh, one of, if not the smartest person I may have ever met in my life. Um, But if you look at his writing, he goes in depth on uh, research, is able to break that down, but it's written in such a brilliant format that it's it's possibly the the best out there of of writing in in a way that is not only understandable, but it's not losing any of the nuance. And that's the real trick that he has, getting in depth. So it's for people like you and me who really enjoy that level of depth 
and those nerdy details about the science that he talks about, but it's just written really well. Um, and to the point where a lot of people that maybe aren't coming from a, a science background, but are really interested in strength training can still take a lot of stuff from his work. So I think, uh, yeah, Greg is fantastic at that. I think uh, Trexler does a, a, a very good job with that. Um, they'd be the first ones to come to mind. I think um, you've mentioned um, the, the others that I typically would, would put in there. Um, I think the guys at Barbell Medicine, are a big fan of their work. I think Austin Baraki, Jordan Feigenbaum are, are awesome for doing that as well, of being able to communicate very evidence-based ideas. Um, but again, with the in, in a way where you still understand what is the practical takeaway from this uh, and, and kind of cater for people who already have a decent level of understanding who do want nuanced details um, and kind of cater for that kind of sweet spot uh, that, that some of us sit in. Greg's amazing. <clears throat> he was one of the feature speakers at the first year that uh, Dean Somerset and I hosted our own conference here in, in Edmonton. So we had Greg speak on that. His long form stuff, there's only one person that I think is kind of almost Greg's equal on evidence-based long form writing, Adam Ali of Physiconomics, who does a really killer job with that. We're talking very long form writing here. Mm. We're not talking like a, an article you can blast through in five minutes. We're talking shit that it takes 20 minutes to go through a mini book. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, Adam is a fantastic example of what I was referring to earlier when people don't have to follow the types of media that everyone else says, right? He's like, okay, I'm going to write these articles and have these awesome animations and I'm going to do them better than anyone else. I'm not going to spend my time trying to do everything and put equal time into them because then one of them wouldn't be as good. And so then you see the the fruits of that. He's a, he's a perfect example of someone who's primarily focused on that type of content and done it excellently. Um, instead of saying, I need to do a bit of everything. Um, and then in the end, not all of it, uh, you don't have one then that you can stand over as this is something people really enjoy. Um, so yeah, his, his stuff is, is fantastic. Um, yeah, there, there's loads that I could, could probably think of, but, uh, uh, there for, for the moment. It couldn't help, but draw you into, you know, sharing your thoughts on other people because it's obvious through your media that you've made a lot of your career about highlighting other people, but this is also about you. So what are some of your current areas of interest, emerging trends or things you think are going to be very relevant in nutrition that you're excited about, that you're spending time digging into? Yeah, there's a, uh... There's so much, I think, over the last couple of years, and people listening to the podcast may have seen a, a shift in this. We've obviously focused a lot on kind of big public health issues around nutrition as opposed to necessarily optimizing one individual's nutrition. For example, the, the big issues around diet and impacts on things like cardiovascular disease, whether that's looking at sodium intake or saturated fat intake or overall dietary patterns, these really big key questions around nutrition science. Um, I think that's a big thing. Uh, one of the projects that we're working on that we're really excited by that I think will, will be relatively unique when it does come out is I'm really interested in how do we get people to a point where they can really dive into research themselves and become less and less reliant on interpretations from people, even when they're getting that from people that we would recommend. There's a, a certain subset uh, at least of our audience who do want to read 
primary research papers um, and want to be able to kind of know some of the things to look out for, know a certain process um, to, to go through. And so thinking through that question has been something we've we, we've had on our minds and are hopefully um, putting something t- together for. Um, I think in terms of actual nutrition topics, um, really this is one that just jumps around all the time and people can probably guess if they look at the the, the podcast episodes we, we've put out, there's no one core thing. Uh, for example, we can talk about these big public health issues and, and clinical nutrition stuff where a lot of our, our podcast recently has been focused. But at the same time, then one of my old interests um, and then from my time as a practitioner was around nutrition for mixed martial arts and boxing and, and weight making. That's something I'm still very much interested in and currently uh, working on a, a project with a, another practitioner who is probably, I would say, the, the best or one of the best in the world at that job right now. And so that's kind of exciting. So it, it's hard for me to pick one <laughs> thing. Um, I, I find them all very interesting. Uh, Anyone listening hear the excitement as you're even just kind of like your, your brain is going just thinking about all these things. And I have to believe that one of the reasons why you've had the the ability to establish yourself in the place you are in the industry is because of that excitement. Has that excitement ever wavered or waned along the way? Or what have, is there anything conscientious or deliberate that you've done to sustain your passion for your work? Man, that could be a, a very deep question. Uh, I think number one, for sure, it has waned at certain times. I think if someone said, their passion for, for anything in life hadn't waned at certain times, I would probably not believe them or would also ask them what is their magic solution. I think uh, the same when you're doing any degree uh, of work, it's going to go, go in waves of motivation. And it, it's hence why it's probably a cliche at that point where you don't have to rely on uh, motivation to be the thing that's driving your work forward necessarily. But how can you put systems in place for when maybe motivation isn't as high, but you are still consistent with it. I was very conscious of, of that. And I think that's why I think over the eight years, the podcast has run, there's maybe been, I think two weeks where there wasn't an episode gone out. Um, apart from that, every week, the, the episode has, has gone up, um, even in very trying circumstances sometime. And in those moments, it was just literally about, I, I know, even though I don't want to do that, I know that in the long run, I will be happy that I did it because this is, is going to be important that I stay consistent with it. Um, I this think sounds like, yeah, this sounds like nutrition coaching. This sounds like <laughs> formation for the everyday person trying to stay on right. track with their workouts and their dieting. Right. Yeah, man. It, it's, it's everything in life. It, it's, it's how do you stay doing things that your rational mind knows in the long term is a good decision but your irrational mind and when you are emotional about something that wants to throw everything out, that doesn't want to do it, that wants to shut off, that wants to run away from things. It's talking that part down or even when you know, okay, it's there and and I don't want to do it, but I still have enough um, grasp on reality to know that I should do this because in the long run, it will kind of pay off. Um, And so, yeah, I I felt that at times at some points was like, like, what am I doing? Like, I don't really have a, a long-term plan with this. Is this what I should be doing? Should, should I spend my time doing something else? Um, 
do I even like this as much as I used to? And then, then things would come back. I was like, Oh, I like this more than ever. And then it swings back again. So yeah, I've, I've had that, man. I've had it about everything I've, um, uh, but one of the things I'm kind of relatively proud of is in, in times that were quite trying over the last few years was keeping that, that podcast going, um, and keeping business stuff going. Um, because in other areas I, I kind of, would just get rid of stuff and like throw it away and like burn everything down when when stuff was going uh tough in life but uh the business is one thing i was able to stay going just because i knew that uh, it would come back around eventually good decisions how do we get people to think the same way you did with your podcast week in and week out Oh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of ways where I, I would tell people not to think like me. Uh, but I think in, in relation to that specifically of knowing the consistency, I, I, I guess there's some degree of faith some, someone needs to have that it will pay off. And that comes down to just to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, and so for me, even those times where it was just really difficult, uh, it was knowing that, okay, when I've been thinking more clearly, I know that this work is something I like doing. It fits within my values that I have told myself are important to me. And so if those things are unchanged, even though maybe right now, uh, emotionally or psychologically, I'm not in a place to appreciate that or I don't like it or whatever. When I was thinking more clearly, I made this decision to do it. So let me stay, just, just get it done and then worry about it afterwards. Uh, and if I never get that motivation back, then I can cut it off. But for today, let me just, just get it done. So um, I, I don't know what it was that I was able to do that, but there's just something uh, that I knew about the, ju just the consistency of, of getting it done was important. Um, so there's definitely been that. I think often there's, there's just always still going to be questions about, what we're doing, uh, I think, whether that's professionally or certainly with me in, in life, I think oftentimes you just think like, what, what am I doing? Is this the right thing? Is, uh, do I have a plan? Should I have a plan? Am I the one that like, is everyone got this thing figured out and I don't know what I'm doing. And then you realize, I oh, know probably most people feel like this. Most of the things that we often think are unique to the way we think about the world is something that most people, if not everyone feels because it's just part of the human condition. Um, and then knowing that I think helps a bit um, it, to know that it's going to be likely a transient thing and just let's see how it plays out. I think a lot of this stuff has become so embedded in your identity as a fitness professional, same for me, that this, this translates right down into to fitness. Uh, and I, I like to talk to clients about either tapping into aspects of their identity that where they see themselves as a fit, active, healthy person, choose your language, or aspire to such an identity, right? If they can tap into an aspirational identity, they're more likely to behave um, even in times of, of fatigue and stress and, and lack of willpower in line with their identity. I think that's one of the key ways that we can get people to sustain behavior change or change lifestyle. And it's no different for fitness professionals. You know, I taught asking you earlier about whether or not, you know, about being seen as a podcaster first. Well, I think an essential part of what you and I do is that 
we do know that we are podcasters on top of the other things that we do. And when we see ourselves as such, you know, it's, it's sort of a non-negotiable thing. It's like, okay, I've got to make sure I've got a guest for next week, or you do the things necessary to keep in this particular example, the podcast going. Also, if you enjoy the experience, you're far more likely to want to return and do it, uh, you know, all the time. Um, I, th- I know I'd reached out to you quite a while ago about getting you on and, you know, I, I apologize that it took me this long to, you know, make the scheduling work, but I think, you know, that's exactly how this sort of thing works. Right. Um, you know, I remember I, I still haven't had Lane Norton on, but I talked to her quite a while ago. I had Holly Baxter on a long time ago and she was phenomenal. One of the most popular podcasts I ever had because Holly's, you know, Holly's got a great uh, background in both, you know, nutrition, but also big following. And so Lane loved that. So we talked recently, but it's, you know, that he's so busy, it's pushed back. But, you know, sometimes you just want to have people on, you talk to them, and it just keeps getting pushed back, it doesn't work out. But I always try to circle back and make sure I get people on. And I'm thrilled. This has been sensational. It's really been fun to talk. I really hope that people listening, go turn around and check out your work. Because I think there are people who aren't based in North America, who have great reach in North America. But then sometimes we don't always think about you know, people who are across the pond or, you know, you get an Andy Morgan who's in Japan or Eric Helms who's based out of New Zealand or, or some other really great fitness professionals. So there's a lot of really great stuff coming out of the, you know, out of Ireland and the, uh, you know, the, the UK. I've had um, my buddy Ben Mudge, who's in Northern Ireland, which is very important to point out. It's a very different thing, <laughs> but Ben is fantastic. And so I've had him on and done a Teen Nation collaboration with him. And I've got to get my friend Tom Morrison, who's another Northern Irelander. Uh, and he's a lot of fun. So there are great people over there because I know there's a very thriving fitness world in, in that part of the world. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of great people that, that are about. So hopefully people listening to this enjoyed something uh, I said, and it wasn't too much of a ramble. Oh, oh I'm sure they, they would. Plus your, uh, your speaking pace is a little faster than Andy Morgan's. I always, always fuck with Andy on this one. Long full <laughs> pauses with Andy Morgan. I think the listeners sometimes wonder if he got cut off because he'll pause and he'll think about something for 10 seconds before he says something, but he's, yeah. he's, he's brilliant and charismatic and a lot of fun. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, they, they can just throw it on to like 1.5 or 2x speed, maybe. <laughs> well, I made this joke. I said that if he ever does start uh, narrating audiobooks, I can listen on four times speed. <laughs> right? I'm still, it's, it's okay. Um, so obviously, people need to check out Sigma Nutrition Radio. You've been doing it for a really long time. So what I tend to, to tell people is, you know, scroll through the library and look for the guests, the people that you really like, you know, the people you're a big fan of and let them hear those guests and you interviewing them. And if they really enjoy it, then dive into the rest. I mean, like eight years of podcast is a daunting task. It's like finding a TV show. You're like, Ooh, this is great. Oh shit. There's 15 seasons of 30 episodes a season. Holy fuck. Right. I don't know if I can commit to this, but there's a lot of great info in there. So I think people should do that. And then how do they find you otherwise uh, on, so- on social media? Sure. Uh, social media, they can find me on Instagram. My handle is Danny Lennon underscore Sigma. On Twitter, the handle is Nutrition Danny. Um, otherwise, they can just go to the website is sigmanutrition.com and then they can find all our stuff there, our podcasts. We have a ton of written content up there now as well. Um, and then everything else will be linked out uh, if they want to find that. So yeah, sigmanutrition.com. This has been brilliant. I really appreciate it. 
Um, obviously, anybody who is listening, if you are finding my work for the first time through Danny's media, then you know a number of the names I've just thrown out. I mean, literally the last episode is Andy Morgan, so go check out his work. Mike Isertel has been on, um, you know, recently and a handful of times under the old format. John Berardi. So if you like what you're hearing, again, I don't want to steal you away from Danny, but if you got the bandwidth, check out more of my stuff. If you're not yet following my Instagram at Andrew Coates Fitness, I'm trying to connect with people there, please send me a message if you still have stubbornly held out, but you're a longtime listener. And otherwise, Danny, thank you for your time. I really appreciate this. And thank you for asking me. It was a pleasure. I really, really enjoyed this.